Let's get to it. This is Sebi Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. We are here at the Sebi Podcast Show. I'm Michael Gray, your host for the night. Sebi is a little under the weather right now. He's not feeling too well, but, you know, we're going to hold it down for him today. We got a big show. It's, we're coming off an amazing Super Bowl 54. It's only right we continue this show rocking. I'm, I'm, I'm your host for the day, Michael Gray, and uh, let's get to it. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. This was a big weekend in sports. Obviously, we all know. Super Bowl 54 was on Sunday afternoon, and man, was it a doozy. I'm sure it was a whole bunch of Super Bowl parties, a whole bunch of good food, a lot of festivities, good energy in the air. You know, it was good to see a lot of people come together for this for this event, and um, let's just get to it, man. This Super Bowl, this Super Bowl right here was an amazing, it was, it was a great game. It was a great game. It was, it was a battle of two of the clear-cut best teams in the league. And uh, it just came down to the greatness of Patrick Mahomes and this and this Kansas City Chiefs offense on display in the fourth quarter when the team needed it most. Let's let's backtrack. Let's 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 go. Let's let's break this game down for a minute. San Francisco 49ers came out firing early on. You know, they first first drive they got a three and out on defense. Came back, came down, scored a field goal. Kansas City came back, scored 10 straight points. Uh, got an interception from Bashad Breeland. Mahomes scored a touchdown uh, rushing, and then he came back, and they were able to capitalize with a field goal. I think San Francisco found something in that drive when it was 10-3. to When it was 10-3, to they had a drive that it was a big drive because had you had not scored any points on that drive, the way Kansas City was starting to roll and the, the way the momentum was starting to go, it could have gotten ugly fast. But San Francisco, to their credit, came back on a key drive and went down the field running the football with Tevin Coleman, with uh, uh, Raheem Mostert, guys like that, running right down the field. Go, they go right down the field and they score a touchdown and make it 10-10. to From that point on, the San Francisco defense was playing lights out. I mean, they, they were getting after Patrick Mahomes with a four-man rush. They were stifling the running game to, uh, for some degree, and, and they, were just, they were just the more physical team at the time. And uh, Kansas City needed to make an adjustment. They, for three quarters, they they had no adjustments for them. They 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 made they were continuously moving the ball up and down the field. But then in the second half, when when things started to get tight, they were throwing interceptions. Patrick Mahomes threw an interception to uh, Fred Warner, where Fred Warner literally undercut Tyreek Hill on a on a third down and twelve, and Mahomes just didn't see him. This is one of those ill-advised passes that you rarely see from Patrick Mahomes, and that set up another Raheem Mostert touchdown for the San Francisco 49ers, which put them up 20 to 10. Now, if anybody knows about this Kansas City Chiefs, these have these guys have been the comeback kings, not only in these playoffs, but the last 
five or six games of the season. I mean, you when you when you look at what they what they did against the Houston Texans in the divisional round, being down twenty four nothing in the first first quarter, and then all of a sudden by halftime they have the lead. When you look at what they did against the Tennessee Titans and being down seventeen to seven, then all of a sudden uh, by halftime they were able to find have the lead. This team right here. That not only is are the comeback kings, but they come back in such rapid rapid fashion that you that it almost it almost drains you mentally because it's like, well, what do I have to do as an opponent? Because the, no matter what lead I have, this team always finds a way to get back and just a so quick strike that they're never out of a game, and that's exactly what happened in my opinion in this Super Bowl. The San Francisco Forty ers were playing dominant football. On both sides of the ball, they were running the football on offense. Offensive line were getting a hat on the hat, and they were getting to the second level of on this Chiefs defense. And then you had a situation where the defensive line was dominating uh, the Chiefs' offensive line, and Patrick Mahomes was under pressure all day long. And that and that is what caused a lot of the ill-advised passes. But the Kansas City Chiefs rose up, down twenty, down twenty to ten. You see Tyron Matthew coming on the sideline, getting his team fired up because he understands that the opportunity is right here for us to cash in and make this happen. And we're folding, we're folding right now. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. And he had, he was over there hyped up, getting his team ready. So Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City Chiefs offense goes down the field. They score. They, they do, no, no, excuse me. They go down the field and they actually throw, throw, in, throw another interception late in the fourth quarter with 11 minutes left, I believe. And when, that, when, when Mahomes threw that interception, I'm not going to lie to you folks. I thought the game was over. The reason why I thought the game was over because as elite as this San Francisco 49ers running game is, I thought they would continue to run the ball as effective as they did in the first half and a little bit in the third quarter and run that clock out. And even if San Francisco had an opportunity, excuse me, Kansas City had an opportunity to score and were able to get the ball back, I feel like if San Francisco ran the clock and ran the ball to the point where they took a, a excellent amount of time off the clock, then that that would bode that would bode well in their favor, and, and that would put Kansas City in deep trouble. That didn't, that wasn't the case. When Kansas City needed to, they stifled the run game. They stopped the run game when they, when they needed it most, and they forced Jimmy Garoppolo to have to make the plays on third and five, make the make the key throws to continue drives going, and that he just, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't make it happen. He wasn't able to to come through. Kansas City's game plan late in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter worked to perfection. Stifle the run, force Jimmy G to pass the ball, and that's exactly that. That's exactly that was exactly the downfall for the San Francisco 49ers. Because Kansas City, once they once they stopped turning the ball over and they finally got some momentum offensively, it was a wrap. And literally in a blink, you look up and it was 24 to 20. They were able to score 14 points just like that. And not only that, on that final possession. San Francisco had an opportunity on a big on a long third down to hit Emmanuel Sanders, who had split a double team defensively, and Jimmy Garoppolo had him open uh, on his way to the end zone, but overshot him, and it caused a fourth down. The fourth down, we all saw Kansas City able to take a sack, and uh, and then Damian Williams with a 38-yard touchdown run at the end of the game to seal it, basically scoring-wise, with a minute, I believe, 12 remaining, to go up 31-20. to 20. And from that point on, it was it was over. They, the, the Chiefs got an interception on the last drive of the game to com- officially seal it. But Kansas City took this game in the fourth quarter when San Francisco was being too lax days. I'm going to talk about I'm gonna talk about a bunch of key points. I'm going to talk about San Francisco's perspective. I'm going to talk about Kansas City's perspective. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it down the middle as well. But I'm going to start off with uh, Kansas City. I'm going to start off with San Francisco. San Francisco 
when when you go into a Super Bowl, you have to go into with the mentality of I need every possession to count. I need every point. I got to go get it. I can't be passive going into the Super Bowl. I can't be complacent with the score that's probably tied at halftime. I have to go get it. I feel like San Francisco 49ers and uh, head coach Kyle Shanahan were much too complacent in this game, and it was different aspects and different points of the game that proved that. Late in the first half, when the game was tied 10-10, to San Francisco's defense had just got to stop, and San Francisco's offense was getting ready to come back on the ball and come back and get the ball. The San Francisco's defense stopped Kansas City on on fourth down with, I believe, a minute and 45 or some change remaining in that area. San Francisco still had all three of their timeouts. They chose not to use any of their timeouts. Instead, instead run the clock out and, and run the clock all the way down and conserve all three of those timeouts. Well, that was a big mistake because what happened was not only did you not not only did you not uh, cash in and save time, but you were you were pinned down to your own 15 yard line. So you have to go 65 to 85 plus yards to get a score in 57 seconds. Whereas if you were to call a timeout with a minute 45 seconds left, and you would you would still have two timeouts in your back pocket, and you would have a, a two minute drill in place to possibly get a field goal at minimum on the board. That right there alone was a key drive in this game. That was a key sequence in this game, and that really set the tone and let me know that San Francisco it did not come ready to kill in this game. They did not come in the game with the quote unquote Mamba mentality to take this game over by the throne, because. When you're in a Super Bowl, you have to go get it. You have to go for it. Go for everything. And that that just that was bad. That was poor management. You saw when the uh when you're watching the game on TV, we saw general manager for the 49ers, John Lynch. We saw him up there up there in the booth saying, "Call a timeout. Call a timeout. Call a timeout." Because he understood that was a situation to put points on the board. And then you need those. Every points are vital. Points are vital in this game. And I think San Francisco dropped the ball right there. Another situation was like in the second half where, you know, I can't really I can't really say in the second half that he didn't run the ball as much because I, I, I give more credit to Kansas City's defense for stifling the run in the third and the after they went up twenty to ten. I give more I give Kansas City more props for stifling the run down the stretch of the game than I do for Shanahan not calling enough run plays. Because Shanahan was calling the run plays. He just to the, It just got to the point where the run plays weren't as effective. He wasn't getting five yards a pop. He wasn't getting two of those 12-yard carries consistently that he was getting early on in the game. The Kansas City's defense really rose up and made, and made, made things happen and put the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. And... It proved their downfall because it was misthrows, it was overthrows. They were able to get some pressure on him to force him into some bad, bad situations, and Kansas City was able to capitalize on top. And Kansas City I had to give them a lot of credit because Patrick Mahomes, for all that's being said about him, you know, it, it was it was a struggle. The first three quarters was a struggle. He made uh, a few plays here and there that that gave him that gave him an early lead, but after they took that ten and three lead, it was it was a mighty struggle for him all the way up until the fourth quarter. Because it was uh they they continuously got pressure on them. They confused them with some of the looks, the blitz packages. They were able to um they were able to uh to to fool him about blitzing. Like Fred Warner was able to fool him on that on that interception. And then uh it was it was a few ill advised passes. You could tell that the the pressure and this defense was starting to get to him at some point. But he never let it phase him. He never let him overcome him and he was able to come back in the fourth quarter. Once everything settled down, he came back and led two Major touchdown drives, and on that final drive, handed the ball off to Damian Williams. 
But Patrick Mahomes definitely deserved the MVP. That's another thing I wanted to talk about because it was a lot of the noise in the media around people saying that, oh, it's a possibility that Damian Williams deserved the Super Bowl MVP this year. I think that's I, I think that's blasphemy because Patrick, we, we, we can't take a moment of the game, late in the game, and say because he made that moment, because he, he made a play in that moment, that he affected the entire game. Patrick Mahomes affected the entire game. Yes, he did not play his best game for three quarters, but he made plays in the first quarter that were big. He made plays in the second quarter that were huge. He also made plays in the third quarter. that were, Well, he didn't make that many plays in the third quarter. But, you know, he affected the entire game more so than Damian Williams did. If you take away that 38-yard one yard run excuse me, from, from Damian Williams, he had 66 yards rushing in that game. He didn't. He he had a great game. Don't get me wrong. He had a, he had a solid game. He had a say. He he was able to you know pick up first downs, uh, make plays in the clutch when they really needed it. He had a great game, but Patrick Mahomes spearheaded this run, this comeback for the Kansas City Chiefs, and he also spearheaded a lot of the reasons why they got it got up to that early ten three lead as well, early on. So. Patrick Mahomes deserves to be my MVP. You know, it's it's almost it's almost like the whole LeBron James and Kyrie Irving thing when they won the championship back in 2016. A lot of people and Kyrie is my favorite player. A lot of people were saying Kyrie Irving deserved to be the MVP, the Finals MVP that year because of he hit the shot, he hit the moment, he had the big moment that really closed out Game Seven. He had a great moment that closed out Game Seven, and he had a great series. Do not get me wrong. But he did not affect the game on both sides of the ball throughout seven games the way LeBron James did. So because of that, LeBron James got the MVP, and it's the same situation with this with this with this NFL thing. Kansas, uh, Patrick Mahomes affected the game much more than Damian Williams did. So Patrick Mahomes deserved to be the Super Bowl MVP. It was a great game for them. Uh, I was happy to see that. I think Patrick Mahomes has set himself up for a major contract this offseason uh possibly a 200 million dollar contract could be coming the way of one Patrick Mahomes this is the youngest youngest player to ever win an MVP and a Super Bowl this is a special talent he's only 24 years old and to think that he's only going to get better year after year is it's amazing Kansas City Chiefs are in a great position I was happy for Andy Reid. Andy Reid got the, finally got the chair, the Super Bowl championship that he was so so desperately so desperately wanted, and now his resume looks a lot better, a lot a lot better now that he has that Super Bowl championship. So hats off to the San Francisco 49ers for having a great season. When you're coming off a season where you had three wins. You had three wins, and then you come back the following the following year, and you're in the Super Bowl for a chance for a championship. That's a, a, a major improvement. You can't, you couldn't script that improvement. That's amazing. So, San Francisco is, is one of those young teams that will be around for a long time, and uh, and no no doubt in my mind will they will they get another opportunity in in the near future to possibly bring home another Lombardi their sixth Lombardi Trophy. But hats off to the Kansas City Chiefs. They took it. They earned this game, and in the fourth quarter, they showed that want to and that willpower to uh, to finish. They showed why it's a four quarter game. You know, we don't play games uh, for for three and a half quarters. We don't play games for two and a half quarters. We don't even play games for a quarter. It's a four quarter game. Uh, anything can happen through four quarters. The game is never over through three. It's never over through two. It's over through four, and possibly sometimes possibly overtime. We, it's just a four-quarter game, and Kansas City Chiefs played four quarters, and they came out with the victory. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. They are your Super Bowl 54 champions. 
When we come back, we will have some NBA talk. I'm going to talk about the this current week's NBA power rankings. And uh, I'm going to talk about some teams that might be in the trade talk or some players that, that might be in trade talks that have some potential landing spots for some guys that definitely would elevate certain teams. So we, we're here. Don't go nowhere, folks. You're here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. Welcome back to the Sebi Podcast Show. I'm Michael Gray, your host for the day. Sebi is out with the out not feeling too well right now, but we're gonna hold it down for Se we're gonna hold it down for my guy, man. And uh we're gonna talk some NBA. We got some NBA talks to this. Right now we got uh we're gonna talk these power rankings. These NBA power rankings. Right now I'm gonna ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna read off to you the top five teams in the NBA's power rankings for week 16 this week. Right now at number one, we got the Milwaukee Bucks sitting at 42-7. and seven. We got at number two, we have the Los Angeles Lakers sitting at 37-11. and 11. We have at number three, the Toronto Raptors at 36-14. and 14. Number four, the LA Clippers with 34-15. and 15. And at five, the Denver Nuggets. At thirty four and sixteen, I'm gonna run through what I what I've been impressed with about each each of these teams uh, individually. I'm gonna start off with number one, the Milwaukee Bucks. This has been a special team all season long. They've been like this since last year. Coach Mike Budenholzer's system is really thriving on this team. This is the highest shooting three point team in the in the in the NBA, and they they average the most attempts and the most makes per game. Uh, this is a special ball club. Giannis Antetokounmpo is playing like a a, a possible potential back-to-back MVP. He's putting up astronomical numbers, and um, they they play great defense. This is one of those teams where if they continue continue this play, they'll they'll be in the conversation for going making it out of the East and making it to the NBA Finals. I mean that's how lethal they are. They have an unstoppable force in Giannis, and all around him you have perimeter players, great great role players that understand their role. Guys like Chris Middleton, who's all-star. You know, guys like Eric Bledsoe, who can, who can make things happen. Brooke Lopez from outside. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo. So it's so many different guys on this team that just come together and make and make plays and make things happen. And I've, I've just continued to be impressed with them and how they structure themselves and how they work every single game. This is this is a team that doesn't take nights off. They're, they're hustling. They're going hard every game. And they just continue to make it happen. Uh, for number two, I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Lakers. They're right now they're currently 30, 37 and 11, and they're having one of their best seasons so far. Uh, recently, they've they've struggled. They've struggled over their last eight games. They're four and four. Um, they've gone to get some tougher competition early on the in the season. You saw the Los Angeles Lakers go against some uh, some of the 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 lighter competition in the NBA. And uh, they they were able to capitalize record wise because of it. And later lately, you've seen them go against some of the top notch teams in the, in the league, and you know they've struggled a little bit. And as I've said for a while, this is going to be a this is going to be a, this is a, a very good Lakers team that can potentially go all the way. But this but it's a lot of loopholes in this team that that can possibly be be get get exploited. And 
Um, lately, we've seen that from them. I know they're gonna they're gonna turn it up eventually. LeBron James is putting up great numbers. He's playing great. Anthony Davis is playing great. But when you look at everybody else on this team, it's inconsistency all over the place. And they, I, I need to remind people, this is the second oldest roster in the NBA right now. And um, the way they're the, the the way they're playing over the last eight games. Is raise can raise a lot of flags for Laker Nation and others as well. You know, on the, on the game when they came back last Friday when they played against Portland, um, uh, following the the great tribute for the late Kobe Bryant, you saw the team come out. You know, pretty aggressive, but but they they didn't stick with it, and it was it was a lackluster performance, especially in the fourth quarter. And you had Damian Lillard for Portland put on an absolute show. I mean, forty eight, nine, and ten. And he 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 showed the Mamba mentality in the Staples Center in that game, and and, and that was alarming to some Laker fans. But um, I I know it when when playoff time arrives and playoffs come around, this is going to be a different Lakers ball club right now. You know they're still working out some things, but come, come playoff time, I expect to see a different LeBron James. I, I, I expect to see a different approach to his game. I expect to see him turn it up another another level. I expect to see Anthony Davis turn it up another level, and I expect this team to really thrive and continue to to, to get better week by week, gearing up for the playoffs. Number three, we're gonna go with the Toronto Raptors. This Raptors ball club is flying under the radar. A lot of a lot of people didn't expect them to be this well coming off of Kawhi Leonard. Uh, choosing to go to the Clippers last uh, this off season, but the player development and the the coaching and the the mentality over this team is is special. I tell people all the time, I'm not that surprised that they're 36 and 14 right now because not only is their player development elite, one of the best in the league, and they have one of the best GMs in Masai Ujiri in the league right now. When you're coming off a championship and you're coming off the type of run that the Toronto Raptors were on, that can propel you to be even greater the following year. You don't fold under pressure. You don't. You when when things get tough, you don't you don't get tight. You rise up above it because you've been in that situation before. You know it's it's one of those situations where that championship experience is propelling them to be greater than great this year. You know Fred Van Vliet has stepped his game up. Kyle Lowry is is continuing to be a leader for this team. OG Ananobi has come back from his injury last year and stepped up and played huge minutes. We all know how how great. Pascal Siakam has looked this year. I mean, he the way he's looking right now coming off last year, he's looking like he's on track to be a perennial all-star for the rest of his career. That's how special he's looking right now. Serge Ibaka is, already, is always coming in and giving you some very quality minutes. Marc Gasol in the paint. This is a team full of veteran guys that know that do their job and play collectively well as a team. And, you know, they, 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 just, they just continue to show... Why they're, they're, they're such an elite team. They're one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference right now. And the Toronto Raptors are going to be a special ball club. They're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. I'm not too sure that they're going to be an easy route for anybody in the playoffs because they have the mentality of we're champions. And they know that they're going to get every team's best, but they also know that most teams are going to sleep on them because they don't have Kawhi Leonard. And that could bode well in their favor later on down the line. Let's get to the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers... Racked up a big win on Saturday where Kawhi Leonard had 31 points and he had a dominating game. It, it was it was a great ball it was a great ball game. It was exciting to see. Last night I actually watched the game where Kawhi and Paul where Kawhi and Paul George were finally back together and they defeated the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs were dominating for the majority of that game. The first half belonged to the Spurs. The third quarter is when the Clippers started to, uh, you know, propel themselves. And in the fourth quarter, you could just tell 
that this team is special because it's something I'm noticing with this Clippers team throughout the regular season, especially when all of their, all of their players are healthy together. This team is different because when, when, when things get tight in the fourth quarter, when, when you need a bucket, they have, not only do they have three guys that can get you a bucket, but they have a defensive rotation that can lock you down and they can get key stops and key moments down the stretch of a game. They've done it plenty of times against some of the top teams already this year in the regular season. They did it again last night. The Spurs struggled to find, find, get a basket late in the fourth quarter because when the Clippers really want to, when they really make their mind up, they can stifle you defensively. And I think that alone in the playoffs is really going to help be a key for them that could propel them to get out of the Western Conference. Western Conference. And um, I've been I've been impressed with what I've seen from Kawhi Leonard the past this past few weeks, and this past week or so uh, he got hurt against Sacramento, which which led to a a blowout loss on, at home. But but they were able to come back and they got two straight two straight wins at home, and um, then they they look good so far. So I have no problem with them being at number four and number five. I'm gonna go with the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets uh, they had a strange week because <laughs> you know, they, they were very unpredictable. You know they they defeated the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee and the Utah Jazz. But then they lost to the Memphis Grizzlies and the Detroit Pistons. They're not taking anything away from the Memphis Grizzlies because what John Morant and this team is doing, they look special right now. And John Morant is clearly is is my rookie of the year right now. But um, it was just shocking to see that that you know they lose to those. But that's the NBA. That's what the NBA is consistent of. You know when when that, you can't take anybody lightly because those teams that you're taking lightly, they're looking at you and they're they're giving you their best shot. Because they know you're one of the top teams in the league, so they're you're to, while you're taking them lightly, you're elevating their game because they're playing you like this is the NBA Finals Game Seven. So that's one thing that the Denver Nuggets are going to have to have have to have to really think about. But they they've been hit with injuries. I mean, Denver was forced to play without Paul Millsap, Jamal Murray, and Mason Plumlee and Michael Porter Jr. on Sunday. So the, right now this team is is hit with the injury bug, but they but they continue to stay afloat. They continue to stay in the mix, and I'm liking what I've seen so far. Um, a couple teams that I really want to uh, hop on that that have that have impressed me over over the last uh, few weeks have been the Boston Celtics, who got a big win without Kimball Walker on Saturday night against the Philadelphia 76ers, and they also got a big win uh, yesterday again with last night again without Kimba in Atlanta. So this is a this is a this was a big win. This has been a Boston Celtics team. I've I've said this team has the most players on their squad that can get their own shot. And in the playoffs, you need that. You need guys because it's going to be defenses are going to get tight. Palms are going to get sweaty. And you need guys that are going to be able, be able to overcome great defense and be able to create for themselves and make things happen. And Boston has those type of weapons on their ball club. The problem with the Boston Celtics is their size inside. They have no bigs that can contend with the best big man teams in the East like the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid and those guys can have a field day against the Boston Celtics because the, they, Daniel Tice cannot be your best center. I'm sorry. He can't be your best center if you want to be a contender. You need bigs in this league. When you go against the the the, the best teams, the greater teams, the, the more elite teams in the league, you need though that size in the paint because that's that's going to be a key when it all comes down to it. But I like what I've seen recently from Boston, and they can, and they've really uh, impressed me and made things happen. And uh, also the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat have been very impressive. What Jimmy Butler did yesterday – was absolutely sensational against against the Philadelphia 76ers once again, who have been one of my teams that 
I've been disappointed in on the road. I've been disappointed with how I, how Philadelphia has played on the road. But Miami Heat, what they did last night was special. Jimmy Butler, 38 points, his season high. And um, the, the way he got his 38, he was hustling. He was turn, uh, getting steals. He knocked down shots. He was moving without the basketball. He was playing great defense as usual. This, this Miami team is a special team. But again, like Boston. Uh, the, the, their their bigs are lacking as well. Bam Adebayo is having a career year. He's having a great year, but he can't be the only the lone wolf down in the paint, banging with the, with the, some of the other guys. There has to be other help. They need another uh, another camaraderie down there. And either you get more bigs or you continue to rebound by committee. Either one. But uh, yeah, those those are the those are my that, that's my take on these NBA power rankings this week. Uh, it's a lot of players in the trade that in trade conversations. Uh, look, look for their look for these next couple weeks. Look for there to be some big time trades made, and after All Star break, we'll really get to see what these teams are made of. Because right now, you know, a lot of these teams. This is not the final. This a lot of these teams you see right now is not going to be the final final uh, rosters come playoff time, or, or not even come playoff time within the next couple weeks. But when the trade deadline is over, so. After All-Star break, once the trade deadline is over, we'll make a lot of sense about these teams. We'll really be able to give a full, clear uh, projection of where we see these teams coming out of the East, coming out of the West, and who potentially could possibly uh, match up in the NBA Finals. So that that's all on NBA Talks. Uh, NBA Talks, when we come back, I'm going to talk some college, college basketball, some college sports. I got a chance to cover some, some Georgetown games, some VCU games in the past. And also, uh, I, I was able to – I checked out that Oregon-UConn game yesterday that was special. So when we come back, we're going to talk some big-time college sports here on the Subby Podcast Show. Hi, I'm Alwyn Morgan, Jr. with Precise Tax and Accounting Services in Central Florida. And I would love to give a special thanks to the Sebi Podcast crew and all that they do to keep me update with everything sports during this busy tax season. Do you find yourself overwhelmed by the changes in our new tax law? Or would you just love to have the peace of mind that comes with dealing with a well-informed professional? If this sounds like you, please reach out to us for any of your tax, accounting, or small business needs and be sure to let us know that Sebi Podcast sent you. Thank you. Back with our last segment here on the Sebi Podcast Show. I'm your host, Mike Gray, and we got to talk some college sports, people. We have to talk some college sports. I had the greatest blessing opportunities over this past weekend to cover Georgetown basketball game against St. John's. Uh, it was up. It was up in New York at Madison Square Garden, and it was uh, it was an amazing atmosphere. I mean. You know, I was surprised to see how many Georgetown fans were in the garden and at the at this game. It was it was special. Uh St. John's St. John's came out aggressive. They came out firing. They came out early. They 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 took a double digit first half lead and then came out in the second half and took a seventeen point lead. It was it was it was, it was huge. It it was I was I was saying to myself, Wow, they they really they really uh dominating Georgetown right now. Uh, Georgetown star Mac McClung was out. Uh, he didn't play. 
And uh, it was it was some other players that stepped up in his favor. Javon Blair, he had a big game. He had 23 points. Jagan Mosley had a six, had 16 points. Uh, got th- those two really spearheaded the the firepower offensively for this team. Um, in the second half, when they went down 17, guys like Omer Yurt seven finally finally stepped up and, and made big things happen. In the first half, Yurt seven. Your seven had a weird game because in, in first half he had a, a eleven rebounds, six offensive, five defensive, but you know the, the team just could they couldn't buy a basket. Georgetown could not buy a basket at all in the first half. I mean I believe they shot ten for thirty five, five for seventeen from three. It was it was an awful shooting performance in the first half. They couldn't get anything going. Then in the second half, once they once they got down, they started to play the normal Georgetown basketball ball movement, man movement. Get the ball inside to your seven. There was a size disadvantage. He had the mismatch all game long, and even when he didn't, he, even when we had the double team, he he's such a skilled big man that he was able to kick it out to the shooters, and and they were able to knock down shots. And this Georgetown team was able to rally. In the first half, they played man to man, but in the second half, when they went down, they started to play zone. And once they started to play zone and full court press, they really put the pressure on uh, guys like Rasheem Dunn and Mustafa Heron for St. John's, who couldn't handle the pressure. St. John's played a flawless first half. They had zero turnovers. But after that full court press and that pressure in the second half, they gave up twelve. They they had twelve. They gave twelve turnovers away, and. Georgetown capitalized on every single tw- turnover. I mean, these guys really made it happen and and, and came all the way back. They they had a chance that down down one. They were down seventy two seventy one with I believe nineteen point six on the clock. Uh, uh, Terrell Allen passes it out to Javon Blair. Javon Blair passes it out to Jagan Mosley. Jagan Mosley brings the ball down the field down down the court. Excuse me, and he has numbers because they tried to trap inside. He brings the ball up the court, forces the defender to come to him, and this is it off the Yurt seven. Yurt seven lays it up for the game winning layup with ten point two seconds left. St. John's would, would would come back down the down the court, come back down the court, and Rasheen Dunn would turn the ball over, dribble it off his foot, and um, it was uh, and that was all she wrote. Georgetown would complete the comeback. That was an amazing atmosphere, an amazing ball game. It was the best game I've ever covered uh, in my year and a half, two years of covering covering college sports. So that right there alone was was special, and that was a great moment. And uh, Georgetown, that was. Patrick Ewan, after the game in the press conference, called this a season-defining game for the Georgetown Hoyas. This is one of those games where that could propel you to play even better the rest of the season. That could propel you to take that next step and understand the moment, understand that you know this team, as undermanned as they were, without their uh, best offensive player in Mac McClung, skill-wise, uh, they they still found a way to beat the St. John's team and. It was it was a, it was a special win on the road. It was a it was a much needed win. Georgetown has a big game coming up tomorrow night against Seton Hall. I'll be covering that game. I'll be writing an article for it, and um, you know I'm I'm looking forward to see how Georgetown propels this propels this win to carry and carries it into the rest of the season because this is one of those wins, ladies and gentlemen. That if you get it. That can build. That can give you so much momentum for the rest of the season that you might go in there. You might beat some teams that you you had no business beating. Or you might go against some of the top teams and play with outrageous confidence. That's how big this game was. It was special. So hats off to Patrick Ewing. Hats off to Georgia's Georgetown Hoyas Ball Club. They got a big win on the road in in, in Madison Square Garden, and um, they're looking forward to that game against Seton, a, a number tenth ranked Seton Hall 
uh, tomorrow night. They, they play the Seton Hall Pirates, who are going to be very motivated coming out their blowout loss at home to Xavier on Saturday night. So they, they're, they're, they're going to be they go from one hard test to another, and uh, and they're, they're going to have to they're going to have to come prepared, come ready, and be be sound all out. But uh, but the, I know I know Patrick Ewan will have his guys ready for the challenge. And um, let's go to VCU. VCU basketball. Uh, the last the last game the last game I covered for VCU basketball was back when they played St. Bonaventure at home and they dominated them ninety one to sixty three without their star point guard Marcus Evans. Uh, the 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 last big win that VCU had was against Richmond at home. Richmond is their crosstown rival. They uh, Richmond is also was also had the same record at the time at fifteen and five when they when they played them and VCU got a statement win at home. Well, beating that Richmond team by fifteen by fifteen at home was major because. Richmond and VCU have always had this rivalry going on. Even when Richmond's record was never on par with VCU's, they've always had a legitimate rivalry, and Richmond has gotten the best of them at times before. But now this was even bigger because Richmond is fifteen. Richmond is a top dog in the Atlantic Ten this year. They're one of the one of the one of the they're they're playing very good basketball this year, and VCU really sent a message and let them know, hey, we're still here. And we're still hungry, and we still have depth on our team as well. And they and they took care of business. VCU VCU definitely in their last game had a tough loss, a very tough loss, going on the road. And um, it's it's something it's something that VCU will come will, will come back from. They they'll definitely come back because they're one of those teams that you rarely see them lose two two games in a row. They're one of those teams that they're very they're very they're a very sound ball club. Head coach Mike Rose has his team ready every game, and they he really preaches. All out, all out war with this team. So, I expect VCU to continue this, continue to ride momentum, and continue to get back in the winning column, and and, and finish out this regular season strong. Get ahead of Atlantic Ten play in uh, in Brooklyn, New York this year. So, VCU has been playing well. I also want to transition to the women's college basketball game. Watching UConn versus Oregon yesterday, I think we're seeing the passing of a t- of the torch. This Oregon. Ducks women's team sent a statement to the UConn women yesterday. They went in there and they gave UConn Huskies uh, the, their biggest margin loss that they've had since 20, 2005 in 15 years. The, uh, and, and Sabrina Anescu, uh Ruby Heathard, the, the, these, these girls were on a mission yesterday. They, and, and, and they dominated. They dominated that game. Every time UConn tried to come back and cut the deficit to either single digits or try to come come within a few scores, Oregon would stay poised, stay composed, and continue to continue to work and continue to thrive and continue to capitalize on their lead. And they ended up winning seventy four to fifty six, an eighteen point lead. It was it was a it was a great all around win. Sabrina Ionescu, she had a great all around game. She had ten points, nine rebounds, and nine assists. And she just showed her all around game, able to to defend, to dive for loose balls, to you know score a couple baskets when need be. But her passing and her facilitating was special. I mean. To be honest with you, the passes she made, she could have easily had close to 15 assists if, uh, if if some more shots were knocked down. But she had a great game. She had a very solid game. Uh, Ruby Heather, she was the Ruby Hebert, excuse me, Ruthie Hebert, excuse me. She was the high high point scorer for for the for the Ducks. She had 20 finished with 22 points and 12 12 boards, and that, uh, she was a force in the paint defensively and offensively. This Oregon zone that they played really stifled the UConn Huskies. I, I'm not used, we're not used to seeing a Geno Oriema team look rattled 
But that's exactly what they looked like against Oregon yesterday. That zone really rattled them. Oregon had more one-two and more willpower behind them, and they dominated that basketball game. It's just that plain and simple. I'd be very intrigued to see uh, these two teams possibly match up in the in the tournament or possibly match up later on in the season to see what what uh, what adjustments Gino Oriyama would make against the Kelly Graves and her ball club this time. But very big-time statement went for the Oregon Ducks last night. They they came out, fought, and played very good basketball. And I'm looking forward to see how they look in the tournament this year. And uh, that concludes our episode, our episode this week on the Sebi Podcast Show. I'm Michael Gray. Next week, me and Sebi will be back up and running. We had to hold it down for you, my guy. But, uh, but so long, everybody. And stay tuned for another week, great week of sports and only here on the Sebi Podcast Show. You've missed some of our recordings or some of our episodes? Have no fear. The Sebi Podcast experience is still here. You can check us out at our website at sebipodcast.info. Again, that is sebipodcast.info for any of our audio segments on Spotify and iTunes and some of our streaming visuals on our YouTube website and links there at sebipodcast.info some cool merch if you want to dm us and send us all of your email requests we'll be sure to get them here on the sebi podcast experience and remember folks whether you're listening on air or viewing online sebi podcast is wherever you go and that is the slogan